Good morning, Charlottesville Church, Victory Church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of Grace Covenant Church, the church that happened to help birth who you are and send out your pastor. Uh, And let me be the latest to say happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms in the congregation. Thank you for all you do for the people who are called by your name. And for many who are not, you open up your home to care for other children. You provide security and well-being to those who are younger. And for that, I am very, very grateful. Some of you are mothers to mothers, your grandmothers. Some of you are mothers in the church and that you have responsibility for helping younger women come into what they ought to be in God, uh, helping young families become what they can be in God. Thank you for what you do. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. And my sermon today is going to be on that topic, Mother's Day. So if you will turn with me over to the book of Exodus, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Exodus 2, 1 through 4. The title of the sermon is Anonymously Great. Anonymously Great. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Verse 3, but when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Verse 4, and then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Lord, help as we study your word. This is the story of Moses, and there are four things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. What it means to be a pious people, what it means to parent in crises, what it means to protect the promise, preparation for release, and then the placement in the currents of the world. Moms, your job is harder than any on the planet. Caring, protecting, loving, steering, assisting, providing for in every way these beautiful people who you have birthed or adopted into your family. And I want to commend you on your efforts. I want to thank you for what you've done. And those of you who are not yet mothers. I want you to have an overwhelming sense of thanksgiving for what your mothers have done for you. And let this be the happiest Mother's Day for them. You know, the Ten Commandments are those rules that are important to apply in any place at any time. They work in any culture, uh, any people group, Uh, Any sociological setting, the Ten Commandments are fabulous in every way. But if if I were God and I was was forming a people called the Israelites and, and bringing them into national identity, there are some that I would want to be, you know, assume things that everybody would know would need to be a part of the ten most important things to keep a society together and to keep a covenantal people focused on God. Love the Lord your God. Make no graven idols or images. Have no other gods before me. 
make sure you don't kill anybody. Make sure you murder anybody. Make sure you don't steal. Make sure, you know, these are great commandments. But there is one, just one, in there that makes me think a little bit. It's the one about honoring your mother and father, that your days may be long on the earth. Now, I don't think that it's not important. I do. I just don't know that I would have put it in the 10. The 10 most important things to to help a society be most right before God and with their neighbors, I don't know that I would have put this one in there. But God did. Because he believes that it's important for children to recognize the sacrifice that parents have given especially when they understand, meaning the children, that those parents are flawed. And sometimes the flaws of the parents can be so indelibly imprinted on the minds of the children that the children forget that the parents need to be honored even in spite of their flaws. And so God said, I'm not going to make it optional. I'm going to make it a requirement. If it were if it were easy to do, if it were knee-jerk, if it were reflexive, there would not need to be a law. But God makes a law because people won't do it. They will look at their parents and all their flaws and say, there is no way I need to honor or respect them. Do you know what they did to me or did not do? So God says, I'm putting this in there because it is a preservative to all of society. Honor your mother and father. He doesn't say if they are most right. He doesn't say honor them when they do this. He just says honor them. And so I want you who are a child, everybody on the planet got here because you were birthed. So you were, are, always will be a child to honor your mama. She may not have birthed you in the most advantageous circumstances. She may have had to give you up at birth because she just wasn't able to handle the pressures of being a mom and did not want to put you in a position where now you might be disadvantaged because of her lifestyle. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was neglect. Maybe there was drug addiction. Who knows? But that still doesn't give anybody an excuse to withhold honor. And it's not just to make sure that the parents get what they get, should deserve. But it's also that it may go well with you that it may go well with you. When you honor mom, it goes better for you than if you did not. So I want you to find the mercy and grace to forgive that removes all the obstacles to honoring so that they can receive a thanksgiving from you and you can have it go well with you. Here we have in this passage an interesting combination of things. One, two Levites marrying one another. A man from Levi married a woman from Levi. Now, it's interesting that we don't have their names. We do know that the child they birthed was Moses. We did not read far enough along in the passage to determine that, but it is Moses. 
But the names of Moses' parents are not mentioned here. We don't know who Mama is. We find out later in Exodus 20 and then again in Numbers 26 who she was, a woman named Jochebed, but not here. So why, why does the writer make great efforts to, to, to make sure his mama is anonymous? And the writer is Moses. This is the child. <laughs> why would he not want to make his mama known? I'm kind of convinced that he just wanted to make sure that everybody who was a mama could fit in the category of believing that their child could be special, that it wasn't just Jochebed. It was just a woman from Levi. Now, it's not just any woman from, from, from Israel, but a woman from Levi and a man from Levi. Now, Levi would ultimately be the group that or, or the tribe from which the priesthood was taken. By the time God established the priesthood, Jochebed and, and, and Moses' father would have passed away. But Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they were all brothers and sisters. Aaron was the first priest. You talk about a family. Wow! A ministry inheritance? Listen, these kids didn't just come by it through environment. They, they didn't just, just learn about God because the atmosphere was so conducive. These parents were amazing. And I'm going to put it all on Jochebed today, not so much on Daddy, but on Mama. Mama was amazing. Miriam was the lead worship leader in, in all of Israel, if you will. Uh, redundant there, lead worship leader. She was in charge, if you will, of everybody singing and dancing. And they didn't even have praise and worship. It wasn't invented yet, but she was doing it. And then you had Aaron, who was the chief high, he was a high priest. He was in charge. And then you had Moses, who was in charge of the entire nation. Three siblings running the joint. How did they get to be so qualified? Mama. Woo, Jacobed, go for it. I'm proud of you. But here, she's anonymous. Just like most of the mamas in the world anonymous and may i say if nobody knows your name if you do your job right they will know your children's your children will stand out for god you've got a shot of making sure that the influence that is on the inside of you lives on for one generation after another it wasn't just aaron that was priest his sons were priests wow and God did an amazing thing through this family. It all started with Jacobed. This nameless, at this point, mama. Anonymity does not mean unimportant. Gosh, you are so important to the development of your children. You are so important, mama. Please understand the piety that you need to have that allows for consistency to, to be that which is seen, in, uh, seen by your children in your life. That what you say you actually live. Let your life of worship, not just your words of, of, of command or the rules you set in the house, but your life of worship be that which commends you as being a consistent follower of Jesus. 
So much so that your children say, I can't find a better Christian than my mama. Pray, worship. I, I, I'm, I'm almost convinced that Levi was chosen to be a part of the, to, to, to define the priesthood for Israel because the people who were, were of the house of Levi just had a propensity. They were bent toward worshiping God. And that's how Miriam and Aaron and Moses, all three children of Jochebed, came out to be who they were. A man and a woman set the tone for their entire household so that their children could birth a nation. Now, I realize there's only one Moses and probably only one Aaron. I get it. But it doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities for leadership outside of the, of the, of the spectacular, the, the super great. Boy, we need greater leadership in our world, don't we? We need it at McDonald's. We need it at, at our schools. We need it in our soccer on our soccer teams. We need leadership every place. Train your children well and see what God might do. Piety is really, really important. Secondly, they parented in perilous times. Pharaoh had set up a rule and said every male baby born to a Hebrew family, kill him. Why? Because the Hebrews were multiplying. And the Egyptians at that time were the masters of the Hebrews. The Hebrews were slaves. The Egyptians were so concerned that the Hebrews were going to multiply so quickly that they would overrun the Egyptians. And so they said, we're going to stop them from forming an army, get, uh, becoming mighty. So every male child that is born, drown them in the Nile. In this environment, these anonymous parents decide to have a child. I talk with some young parents on a regular basis, and some of them have decided not to have children. The world is too dangerous. It's too hard. We don't know what, they, what will befall them if they come into this world. It's just not the right time to bring a, a child. If you, love, if you love your child, you won't bring them into this. Hmm? Well, you don't know that your child might change this. These two people were not concerned about the environment into which they birthed their child. Oh, they did not want their child killed, obviously. They, they were concerned about his safety, but that was not an indicator as to whether they were going to have a child. We need more righteous people on the planet. And Christians ought to be hearing the sound of being fruitful and multiply as being that which is resonating in their soul with joy. Because they realize not only are we obeying God by doing it, we are helping to produce the kind of people that can help change the planet for the better. They birthed a child in perilous times. They did not care about the environment. I'll say it this way. They cared about the environment. It just didn't matter. They were going to do what was right anyway. I beg you, put aside all your fears. If you can have children, have them. And if you can have a lot, have as many as you can. As many as you can. And when I say can, I'm not talking about physical ability. As many as you believe God wants you to have, have them. 
I know I'm talking from the perspective of a lot. We have seven. Had six, pregnant eight times. Two we lost in miscarriage, adopted one. We had seven. I know that's a lot. And I'm not expecting anybody else to have that. But have them. Because God wants to leave a legacy through you. And yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's hard. But the effort is worth it. They decided to parent in perilous times, but they also knew that they could, they could do some things to preserve life. And so as the child was growing up, you know, maybe they could, could keep this baby quiet to some degree. But after a minute, you know a child, they just start hollering and screaming at any time. And then somebody, somebody's attention is captured by it. And what? Oh, they had a new baby. Let's go see if it's a, a boy or a girl. Uh, the midwives were supposed to be the ones that drowned the children, in the, or at least reported to the authorities, so the authorities could come and kill the male children. And the midwives wouldn't do it. And so when a new baby began to cry, everybody assumed it was a female. But uh, there may be some inspectors going from house to house. And so this family did not want to find themselves in a precarious position. And they, they said, and the child was beautiful, so they hid him for three months. The child was beautiful. Now, you know, to, to every mama, their child is beautiful. But this one here, the, the way they describe Moses is that they saw something in him that was beneficial beyond just the fact that the child was theirs. It was something that distinguished the child. And I'm convinced that there's, there's something that distinguishes our children if we will look for it. It's the call of Almighty God beyond just what we have as a hope for them. God has a hope for them. He has called them. And every child born, if the parents can see it, is <laughs> distinguishingly beautiful. And that allows us to have hope beyond the difficulty that we're going to face in raising this human being for the next 18 years. <laughs> I'm sorry, 37 years. <laughs> I'm not quite sure when they develop and when we call it done. I'm still parenting human beings and they're adults. My kids are great. I love them very much. They're doing fabulously. But you never stop being a parent, ever. You stop having full responsibility for their actions, but you never feel like you're not responsible for what they do, ever. Said the child was beautiful. They saw something. What do you see in your child, even when they are disobedient? Do you see the call? Do you see what God wants to do with them beyond you? And it's your responsibility to recognize that and to nurture within them the distinguishing characteristics that God has put within them so that they can fulfill the purpose for which they have been placed on the planet. That is our parental responsibility. And within that comes all the discipline that is necessary in order to keep them in line. Oh, today parents don't want to spank. I get it. Virginia has rules. I get it. It doesn't matter to me. 
Spanking is an important part of the disciplinary process of bringing a child up in the way that they should go. I don't back off from it. And I think it's important that parents at least follow the rules that the Bible has to state rather than coming up with their own. And the Bible says that the rod is something that ought to be used. Now, I realize that some people metaphorically choose this as an opportunity to say the rod actually means discipline by mouth. That you put measures in place so that the child understands that when they stray, you can now discipline them with the words of your mouth. And as a result, that is uh, all they need to get back in line. I don't know. Having parented seven, some of them looked at me after I talked to them and just went, huh. My words didn't mean much to them. But there was something about taking a little Home Depot paint stick to either their hand or their backside that allowed for communication to be very, very clear. And that, not as punishment, but as directed discipline that then led me to a point of explanation and discipleship whereby their attention was grabbed. I then took them and said, listen, you know what you did wrong, right? Yes, sir. You, you, you hit your, your brother over the head with your Batman figurine. That was really bad. You caused a knot on his head, right? Yes, sir. Mm, well, okay, we need to talk to God about this. You need to ask him to forgive you for what you did. And then afterwards, you need to go ask your brother to forgive you for what you did. And then I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to see God do a restorative work in your life. Our discipline moments would take a little bit because it was all directed toward best conduct in God and worship. It's all because I saw something on the inside of them. They had distinguishing characteristics. And I needed to make sure that I did everything within my power to direct them toward God even in the midst of their disobedience. Seeing something. The child was beautiful. But she couldn't keep them quiet forever. And so she fashioned a, a basket. She made some kind of provision with, a, with pitch and tar so it didn't leak. And she placed him in the basket in hopes that he would float down the Nile and find a home. At some point, we've got to release. And that's hard. For Jacobet, it was really hard because Moses was an infant. But it, that, that point of release is coming someday where we have to say, Lord, we trust you. And it's possible to release even while they are under your care. It's possible to release even while they are under your care, realizing, I know I'm responsible, but God, you are ultimately responsible, and I need you in my parenting. I need you to help me. I release my child to you. I, I do what I can to provide so that he will be protected in every way. But ultimately, he's yours. She's yours. And I give her to you. I choose to follow your way. But when I do so, I realize that I'm flawed and fallible. You're better at this than me. Lord, speak to my child. Help my child. Bring my child up in the way that he or she should go even when I can't do it as, as well as I should. I release. And at some point, we've got to release them into the currents of the world. Whew. 
It's a tough thing when you tell a child to go to college or they move out of the house. It's tough on parents. They don't know what's going to happen. Did we do enough to prepare them for what's next? This nagging thought that, wow, I, I, I don't know if they're going to make it. So, I mean, most of us have the opportunity to see, well, they didn't make it as well as we thought, and now they're back. <laughs> uh, but that's okay, too. But the, the reality is, when we release them into the currents of the world, they find, they're going to find some place to be. But in finding some place to be, even if, it, if it's right in the heart of the world system, like Moses was, brought up in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's daughter found him and then brought him in like he was her own and raised him. Even then, Moses could not get away from the reality of who he was. All his life, he realized, I'm a covenant man living in a non-covenantal and I've got to reconcile that. I've got to do something about that. I can't ignore my heritage. You teach them well. Even when they are old, train a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he won't depart from it. Moses could not depart from it. Growing up in Pharaoh's house, eating Pharaoh's food, did not allow him, did not predispose him to stay there. He was already wired to be a covenantal man. This is what we have the opportunity to do. To raise up moms. To raise up young men and women. Who are covenantal. That when we release them into the currents of the world. They'll find themselves docked. In the heart of the world system. Yet they bring the promises of almighty God with them. And they become agents of change. Have a vision for your child. Let your child, let, let the Spirit of God speak to you about your child so that when you see your child, you don't just see a person that needs you. You see a world changer. And in that vein, you begin to shape and form on the inside of them so that whatever they do, they take that shaping and forming that is geared toward covenantal obedience with them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. I'm asking that you would bless this church in Charlottesville and you would bless every mama today. Let them feel your goodness. Let them feel your strength. Some of them are struggling, don't know how they're going to get up tomorrow. They're, they don't have any sleep. They're, they, they, they're tired, they're weary, weary beyond weary. Lord, strengthen them. Fortify their hands for the work. And Father, bless this house in the days to come. If there's anybody listening today and you've not given your heart to Christ, here's an opportunity to do so. I'd like to pray with you. Just repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me.
thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you can talk to somebody in the church. You can send a little email. Maybe there's a chat thing there in the chat box that allows you to check. I got right with God today. Find somebody in the church to help you. They'll assist you along the way. Victory Church, love you very much. You're on your way to greatness, and I'm privileged to be able to walk with you on the way. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Bye-bye.